show. I'm Karen Murray sitting in for Jim Chapman and at this time every Wednesday it's uh, left, right and center with Schlemmer and Metz who join me in the studio this morning. Good morning guys. Morning, morning Karen. It's very nice to have you here. This is different. <laughs> yeah. Different for me. And uh, in this segment the phone lines are always open for your calls. 643-1290-643-1290 star 1290 on the cellular line. Uh, you guys usually always... Um, inspire a lot of people to call and uh, and comment and agree or disagree uh, with what you have to say and I'm sure this morning that's going to be the case because we're we're talking about something that is uh, it's very interesting very controversial um, Robert Latimer and Jack Kevorkian and the law and the need for legislation on assisted suicide I don't think anybody uh, can dispute that there is a need for that um, just to fill people in, if, you, if you're not aware, Robert Latimer was sentenced the other day to life in prison for the mercy killing of his daughter. Uh, he has to serve at least uh, 10 years in jail. Jack Kevorkian taped a mercy killing that aired on the TV show 60 Minutes Sunday night. He wants to be charged. He wants to bring this to the attention of, uh, of people. Is mercy killing murder? That's been something that's been uh, discussed over and over again. And if so, should sentences be any lighter? in the case of, uh, of someone like Robert Latimer, who's uh, obviously um, not your average murderer, I suppose you could say. Um, does he deserve to have a lighter sentence? So first, I, I thought we'd just throw this, this topic out to you and, uh, and get your impressions on it, first of all. Uh, let's start with Robert Latimer. Bob, what do you, what do you think? Well, well I'm, uh, I'm thinking, you know, there's so many issues here, I don't even know where to start. I think fundamental is, is if we have the right to, lo to life, do we also have the right to choose when we want to die? And then if we say yes to that, to whatever degree, because we basically have that freedom whether the government wants to give us, give us that right or not, I mean, everyone can commit suicide if they want unassisted. Then the next question is, if you have that right, do you have the right to contract with someone to help you in that goal? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that can, that can create all kinds of problems. And I think fundamental to the issue is whether or not and to what degree uh, consent exists. Um, you have an issue, too, where the person's choice to die, is it, is it rational or is it irrational? I think that's a big issue. Yeah, it's you know, a healthy is. person comes to you, happens to be depressed, and says he wants to kill himself. Will you help me, you know, kill mm -hmm. myself? Well, I think, you know, no, that shouldn't be allowed by law. But a person who's making a rational decision to control an, an inevitable death or end some incredible pain with which they can no longer live, uh, I think that's an entirely different matter. And I think the law has to be amended in some way to accommodate that kind of a choice. Yeah, the, the two are they're similar in some ways, the Kevorkian story and the Latimer, because as you're talking about... Uh the, the choosing to end your life when, let's say, you have a terminal illness or something like that, in the case of most of Kevorkian's patients, is quite different than uh, Robert Latimer's 12-year-old well, uh, well, disabled daughter. There is a big issue, too, because we get into the whole issue of, of children's rights, which in, a sen in real essence don't exist because children don't have the right to consent one way or the other. So those who argue that Latimer's daughter could not consent to having her life taken... Uh, the, the weight of the argument goes the other way, too. She also couldn't consent to, to say that she wanted to continue living. Right. Um, now, I don't know any of the details in terms of her, her specific death and why, why her father would think that this was the appropriate action to take, but definitely a situation like that has to go through a court system, and he has to be judged. And the issue is whether are we going to, to abide by some strict laws without 
a sense of justice attached to it, or are we going to look at an issue and weigh it, which is why we have juries and things like that who have to look at the evidence and decide how justified he may have been or not in that case. And there, again, I don't have the, the intricate de details of the case that they would have. Well, let's well that, raises, that raises yeah. part of the problem, and actually there's no law that was ever passed by anybody thinking about this kind of situation coming up. Like when the, when the uh, uh, criminal code uh, provisions were passed providing for uh, uh, minimum sentences for um, conviction for murder, they didn't have this situ situation in mind, and I can virtually guarantee you that if you go back through Hansard, the transcript of the debates of Parliament of the time, that they never said, well, what about somebody who may be well meaning should they ha have a lighter sentence and, and again I virtually guarantee it was never debated that raises the question of minimum sentence mandatory minimum sentences and uh, whether those are appropriate was a whole other topic to get into right. but uh, fundamentally I think the thing about Latimer and, and I know there are very strong opinions on either side about it and I think a lot of it comes down to the evidence and Certainly in my case, I'm not that familiar with the facts either, but I have friends who are who are disabled who reacted extremely strongly to it and would string him up from the nearest tree in an instant if they got the chance. Um, they're just appalled by what he did, and uh, we've certainly seen the quotes in the paper as well from the disabled community who say he's a murderer the same as any other murderer. There's nothing nothing that ameliorates what he did at all. He's just as bad as the bad guy, a psychopath who kills somebody. Uh, and I have to take what they say pretty seriously because my friends are very smart people, and they're in a position of maybe more sensitivity to the issues than I am, and they certainly know more about it. But for me, it seems to come down to a question of, did Robert Latimer have any options? And that is, uh, could could uh, Tracy's pain have been managed? Could somebody else have cared for her? And I think that the big concern on the part of the disabled community is that these are a couple of parents who got burned out caring for mm -hmm. Tracy, and that it was extremely difficult to do, uh, and, and that you know, they lived with it day, day in and day out. But what they say is they should have turned her over to a group home who would have cared for her. I had someone remark to me that it had been, if it had been the mother who killed the child, the sentence wouldn't have been nearly as severe. Is that right? But it's and, a mandatory and, sentence. And, uh, oh, I see. So that was, there was no choice then. That's right. Okay. And what happened at trial was that, the that first of all... The was there a jury there? Yeah. And what happened was that uh, juries don't get to pick a sentence. That's one of the things that was a surprise to me. <laughs> I don't do criminal law. But uh, at the trial, what happened was that the jury came back and said, well, technically, we think he did it, but he should only get a year in jail. Uh, and that, and the jury can make a recommendation on sentence, but they can't pick a sentence. The judge then came back and said, well, it's a mandatory minimum life sentence. However, there's this extremely rarely used constitutional provision I can invoke to say I'm going to make it only two years. So he did that. So then the Court of Appeal had to come back and say, was the judge correct in invoking that provision, or should it be mandatory minimum just like every other case? And the Court of Appeal uh, unanimously, a three-judge panel, said, uh, there's nothing different between this case and other ones. It's a mandatory minimum life sentence. That's what you get. So and now it's going to be appealed again. To the Supreme Court of Canada, yeah. Who gets the last word, finally? This keeps going back and forth and back and forth. Well, ultimately, for this particular case, it will be the Supreme Court of Canada, unless, uh, unless Parliament got together and passed a law. Uh, Parliament... Uh, Parliament gets the last say in the sense that they decide what the laws are going to be subject to the Constitution. Do you not find it difficult to equate Latimer with someone like Carla Homolka? I mean, yeah, and, 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 but, yes. that's, but that's, the, that's where the sentence has ended up. Mm -hmm. They both got the same thing. She for, gets less, actually. She, She'll be paroled soon. Right. And so I have to ask myself, something's very wrong with the way the law is looking at this. However, to address another point you made, you were talking about whether or not Latimer was well-meaning. Um, in his case. I don't think that should matter. I think the issue is, was he just in the way he 
what, what, what his motivation was should be irrelevant. Just like I'm very concerned about like hate laws that are coming out. I don't care if somebody shoots me because they hate me or they love me. I don't want to be shot. Period. That to me is mm -hmm. the bottom line, and that's all we should be concerned with. So whatever his intentions were are, are kind of secondary to the justice of the situation. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure that has to be weighed. And certainly the person, you know, he was certainly in a lot of pain and anguish to, to even arrive at such a decision. We have this and, sort of spectrum uh, right now, though, and it's, it's striking that all these things seem to be happening around the same time. And one thing I, I should just mention that you may be aware of is that suicide used to be illegal in Canada. Yes. It was a crime. It's not anymore. Okay. It's not anymore. I don't know what the penalty was. I, well, yeah, death it wasn't penalty. a death penalty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, there, there has kind been of that a slight movement. There. But I was at a convention a couple of years ago, and uh, a liberal convention, and at that, uh, they passed a resolution that the... Um, the law uh, that makes it a crime to assist in suicide should be repealed. And that, again, was a resolution of the Liberal Party of Canada. That hasn't happened yet, but uh, there was some extremely compelling speakers, uh, particularly one nurse from Kitchener who spoke, who was just extremely powerful, saying, uh, if you don't think this happens in hospitals every day in Canada, exactly. you're fooling yourself. Yeah and that Parliament needs to address it, otherwise it falls to uh, the healthcare professionals, who it's, who it's totally unfair to leave them in this situation. Uh, we collectively have to decide it's a tough topic, but what are we going to do about it? Well, let's go to the phones and uh, see what Ivan has to say. Good morning, Ivan. Oh, good morning. How are you? Good, thanks. That's good. Yes, I have an opinion on, on these two cases. All right, what do you think? The man that Karorkian killed... Mm -hmm. The one on TV? That's right. You see, he's almost got as hard a name to pronounce as mine. <laughs> it, the man had the choice. He was an adult. I saw him. Yes. Kevorkian said, do you want to die? And he shook his head. He was an adult. Latimer's daughter was, what, 10 years young? Uh, yeah, 12 years old. What? No, 12 years young, not old. Okay. Nobody's old. We're all young. His daughter did not make the choice. He made the choice for her. Right. You see, he murdered her. Now, it, I doubt if he even asked her, would you want me to kill you? There are other things he could have done. He could have put her out for adoption. Somebody would have taken her. I think what, what Robert Latimer was saying was that, I don't know if it was so much that he and his wife couldn't care for her. Maybe they were burned out. I'm sure they were. But um, his point was that his daughter was in so much pain. Um, and there was really nothing that could be done to end her, her pain. There could be surgeries, but she was always going to be in pain, and he thought enough is enough. Well, and, well, and I, think well he, he, I believe he did that for greed, that he couldn't, he said, I've, I've had enough. You think it now, was him? When I come to a point of my life where I can't be like I am today, I want to die. I don't want to live. But I'm an adult. I can make that choice. But she doesn't. If, if he does, didn't go to prison... Heaven help all those other disabled kids. I mean, right. that's just a license now for somebody to kill. Well, he, did, he did the crime. He's got to pay it. Right. Well, that's a good point, Ivan. Thank you very much well, for the call. Well, have a great day every day, and if you can't have it, shame on you. It's all your fault. All right. Thanks, <laughs> Ivan. Bye-bye. Well, he does bring up a good point uh, about other disabled people, and as you were mentioning, Jeff, uh, the disabled community is uh, very alarmed about this. Um, 
and thinks that uh, Latimer should be sentenced uh, to life. He should be harshly punished. Yeah, now having said that, I, I guess my understanding of what Robert Latimer's argument is, is that there is a flaw in the system that prevented anybody from making a decision about Tracy's life, because it would not be legal for a doctor or for anybody to decide Yes, things are so bad for her. Her pain is so bad that we will end her life. Right. Uh, the all they can do, and and this sort of raises a whole other issue, and that is the difference between um, what happens in hospitals every day, where life support is withdrawn, or decisions about uh, are made about not resuscitating, as a way of uh, hurrying the end of a life, versus actually speeding it up, which is what Dr. Uh, Nancy Morrison did apparently down in Halifax, yes. where she had the severely. Uh, uh, disabled, uh, wrecked guy, like it appeared that everything was that, that could go wrong with him had go wrong, but for some reason his heart just kept on going. And uh, in her case, she decided, I'm going to give him a little injection that's going to end his suffering. And, and I guess one of the questions from an evidentiary standpoint is, how much pain is pain? And, and I've heard, uh, again, my disabled friends say, well, you'd be surprised how much pain you can cope with if yeah. it's the only alternative. Having said that, I hate pain. <laughs> and I don't know that I would be as brave and tough as they are. And, and it the problem is that there are people who are in a position that they can't make the decision or they can't communicate it, well, like, for instance, the guy in Halifax. And the question is, do you then just say, well, too bad. If you hang on in unbearable pain for a year, well, I'm sorry, that's just too bad. We're not prepared to make that decision. Uh, or do you say, look, it, enough is enough. I'm, I'm going out. And the analogy for me is what you see in uh, the Army movies all the time is the person who's been horribly wounded and his friend is saying, you know, please shoot me, please take me out of my misery, or they're going to be tortured or whatever. And they say, please kill me. Now that comes back to the consent thing, I suppose. But is there ever a situation where you're in so much pain that it's better to end it? Uh, That's the question. Well, we're going to come back and let uh, Bob respond to that. We've got to take a, a quick break. We're going to come back in uh, just a moment with more of Schlemmer and Metz. We're talking about uh, Robert Latimer case. Also the Kevorkian case, and we're going to take more of your calls. Phone lines are open, 643-1290, star-1290 on the cellular phone. Back in just a moment. Good morning, we're back. This is Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Metz. We're talking about uh, mercy killing and uh, the sentences. Do the sentence fit the crime in the case of Robert Latimer? And also we're bringing up... Uh, Dr. Kevorkian and the recent uh, tape that was shown on 60 Minutes Sunday night of uh, Dr. Kevorkian assisting in, uh, in a man's suicide. I think that's the first time I've ever seen somebody actually die. That was quite ghoulish and I, in a way. I didn't watch it. I missed it. But, uh, weird. Yeah, that is pretty weird. That's a whole other thing, too. Should that it's kind also, of thing be on TV yeah. in the first place? It's yeah. also interesting that he wants to be charged. Yes. He's learned a very important lesson. He's learned that in a, in a so-called free democracy, uh, changes towards more individual freedom never come through the democratic process. They always come through the breaking of a law and setting a precedent so that then in the future other, other individuals gain the same kind of freedom. And that's one of the issues here because he will set a precedent. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, even to speak to some of the things that Jeff was saying before the ad, I think that when you're talking about life and death issues as we are, it, you, you cannot help but project your own fears and values onto the whole issue. And depending on how you feel about life and how you feel about suffering and how you feel about, uh, you know, various aspects, your philosophy on life, it's going to dramatically affect on, on whether you regard uh, assisted suicide as death with dignity or, or you feel that uh, being forced to suffer out your last days on this earth just for the sake of suffering and then dying anyway is some kind of noble thing to do. This all depends on your personal beliefs. And what 
what I think is scary is when other people's beliefs and values get foisted on me or yes. my beliefs and values get foisted on you. Um, that's what we've got to try to prevent from happening. And the law is, of course, the instrument by which we do this. And um, again, you know, getting back to the Latimer case, he, you know, nobody's saying that here, that I, I don't think, that he shouldn't have been brought into a courtroom and, you know, faced his peers. I just think that we don't have the proper punishment, quote, um, responses to these things. I don't even like the word punishment. I, I see nothing socially gained by putting this man in jail or confining him in any way. He's not a threat to society. Um, putting him in, in jail I don't think is a deterrent to anybody. I'm not planning to kill anybody and I don't think it's going to unleash any kind of, uh, of uh, you know, sudden rash of mercy killings. I, I think he's already suffered the consequences of this, and, and he felt yeah. that he was left in a situation in a society where people were, no one was in a position to make a choice, as, as Jeff says. The doctors couldn't, obviously the, the victim couldn't. <laughs> but it does so, come down, though, again, to whether it's true that, uh, that her pain could have been managed and she could have gone to live somewhere else. That's, that's a very troubling thing for me. If that's well, true... Well, it is for me, too. Uh, and we don't really know that answer. That's the problem yeah, there. We have, to, we have to take it as it is. If, if a jury heard this case out and they actually sat and, and said that they recommended a one-year sentence, then that has to lead me to believe that there was a lot on his side. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and they say the whole thing of mandatory sentences, judges hate those things because they say as soon as you pass a thing saying we're going to treat everybody like a cookie cutter, you're all exactly right. the same, you, you deny the whole fabric of human existence. Also, you deny yeah. the concept of justice. Justice should be something where the, the, the penalty fits the crime, you yeah. know, and, and that's not happening here. Let's find out what John thinks. Good morning, John. Good morning. Um, I, I consider many, many a time, as far as the old quote about justice being blind, uh, and I also question my mind with regards to, how shall we say, it's intelligence, and intelligence must go along with, with justice. And I would suggest in this situation that intelligence is not being exercised. Uh, the point I'd like to bring to you, there's a distinction between man and beast, inasmuch as that we have intelligence, and it's the exercise of our intelligence, shall we say, that makes us uniquely different from any other species on, on this planet. There are many people who are advocating, well, he has broken the law. The law is created by man in the first place. And I govern myself, for whatever it's worth, by a comment that was made by a good judge many, many years ago with the administration of justice. And he put it that he who judges without informing himself to the utmost cannot acquit himself of judging amiss. And I would suggest in this respect, the judges involved in this matter, uh, the latest one, the Supreme Court, obviously has judged amiss. The man has had that child for 12 years. I would suggest that they be, how shall we say, uh, inflicted, if, if I may use the word, with the same trauma that that man and his wife have gone through with respect to the child, and also to try and understand that whilst a child may be physically unable to represent itself in a manner that we are, who are physically fit are capable of doing, they also have a soul, they also have a mind. I can assure you I have had experience in this regard, but putting that aside, the question is being put by a man who seems to have, uh, um, your previous caller, Ivan, 
uh, who, how shall we say, is subject to what I regard as being exaggerated speech and therefore exaggerated, um, how shall we say, uh, conclusions. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for the call. Well, the other thing I would like to say is with respect to this, uh, with Javorki or whatever the hell they call him. There are things that we can do in this world which is beneficial to man, which has not, which does not need to be announced with din and clamor. And Mr. Dvorky has used the media for his own personal, um, how shall we say, visions of grandeur that he may have. As far as well, aren't, you, aren't you doing exactly what you recommended that we should not do? Is is place a person in that kind of judgment without knowing all the facts. I think that given what Kevorkian wants to do is to change the law, he has no choice but to appeal to the media and have his case heard in the court of public opinion. My friend, I am 65 years of of age, or as I would say, young. And in my own experience of life, I have known within my own family the suffering that can be uh, incurred by a person who is gravely ill has absolutely no chance of survival. John, what has that got to do with Kevorkian and wanting publicity? That mercy killing has been practiced in the past, and it's been practiced in the past on the basis of great understanding of the party who is affected, great understanding of the doctor who is charged with the well-being of that person, and the family itself. In other words, human concern for suffering. But John, you, you brought up, you it, brought up the case, incredible. John. I find it incredible that we have this feeling of empathy with respect to animals who may be gravely sick, and we take it upon ourselves to put them out there suffering, and yet we hesitate with regards to our own selves. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. I leave that question with you, sir. Thank you very much for the call, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, and that's something that uh, that I've been very aware of in the last several years, seeing uh, seeing people die. And uh, it sort of takes you back to sort of how do you want your, your own life to go. And it makes me think that, uh, you know, as you say, it's legal to commit suicide right now. You're not supposed to get help doing it. Uh, you have to sort of be able to do it before you lose the ability to do it. And it makes me think that somehow you've got to keep the means around the house that uh, if worse comes to worse, you can do it before it matters well, to lose, leave your hands. Because in a hospital, theoretically at least, they can't do anything for you to take you out of your suffering if you can't bear that suffering. And you can you can say you want it all you want, but it ain't going to happen, at least theoretically. Now, in reality, perhaps it is happening, but that's even more shameful if we leave it to the medical profession to cope with this horrible situation because we're too squeamish about well, dealing with who it. who else is there? I mean, that's the front, that's the front line. Us, we don't have a, I don't think we have a say in, in somebody else's choice of how they're going to die. I just don't believe we have that say. Oh, and we can make it legal. Front, well, we can, yes, by making, I don't, I don't like the word make it legal, I would rather say not have laws that prevent it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I begin at a point of individual freedom and then from there on we deteriorate things. <laughs> so I don't like to look at it the other way that everything that we can do in life must be made legal. Because that's... Uh, it's legal until that's made like illegal. That's Napoleonic code, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so so it, it's... Uh, to me, again, I, I don't like the idea of someone else making that decision for me. And and, and if I'm in a, on my so-called deathbed, I think I should have some right in saying how fast or how quick I'm going to go. But you don't right now. No. 
No. And, and should you, and if you do want to hire somebody... you know what that means? That means that somebody else has the right. And I want to see the justification for why whoever that is has it instead of me, since it's my life and not his. Well, yeah, and one of the problems, obviously, is when you have people who can't communicate for themselves. And, I, and I'm reminded when you talk about, uh, well, for instance, uh, the Sue Rodriguez case, which is a, in some ways a much more clear-cut case in the sense that she clearly had her mental faculties. She decided, look, my body is wrecked. I can't bear this anymore. I need help to, to go out. And of course, we had Sven Robinson, a member of Parliament, who helped her. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to also tried to bring the issue to the fore, proposed legislation to, to make that kind of thing, um, to, to, to take away the illegality of it. What he had proposed was that there should be a panel of doctors who review it and assess whether it's appropriate that the person should be allowed to take themselves out. Now, the problem that I have with that is that doctors are no more equipped to make decisions about morality than you are or I am or anybody else. Uh, they have medical knowledge, and to me, that medical knowledge needs to come forward. They can make an assessment about, are you ever going to get better again? Is your pain unbearable? And all that stuff. There's, there's also and you need those safety checks, but the problem is that we have situations in the past. I'm reminded of Dr. Mengele's and uh, the Nazis in the 30s where disabled people were killed, ostensibly as euthanasia, ostensibly to ease their suffering, but realistically because they were perceived by the government of the day to be a burden and uh, better off gone. And, and so you've got to sort of, to me, err so far on the side that that could never happen uh, in any kind of a law. And, and I'm not sure how you, how you address that, bearing in mind that a lot of these people can't speak for themselves. They're, they're right. too far gone. That's, or their kids. That is a major issue. I don't think there's a, a clear resolution to an issue where you're talking about people who aren't either legally able to consent or physically unable to consent. For example, if Latimer's daughter had said, uh, you know, had asked her father to kill her, would that have changed anything or would the court still be saying, well, she was a child and she didn't have the right That's to consent? Good point. And therefore, we're back in the same situation anyway. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, this speaks to a whole issue that has never been addressed appropriately, and I think that's the whole issue of what we call children's rights. Children, I always maintain, don't have rights as such. What they have is status, and and what how we treat them with that status is, is very pertinent to this issue. Um, again, it comes down to a person's personal belief on how this all works out and how it should be. We've got to take another quick sure. break here, but we're going to come back and talk lots more about this. And we want to hear from you. What do you think? Would you want uh, the right to end your own life if you, uh, if you felt you wanted to? Phone lines are open, 643-1290, star 1290 on the cellular. Welcome back. Schlemmer and Metz are in the studio with me. This is Right, Left, and Center. I think I've been calling it left, right, and center, right, left, and center. Uh, doesn't really matter, I guess, either way. Works for me. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about mercy killing, specifically the Robert Latimer case. Um, earlier this week, he was sentenced to life with a minimum 10 years uh, in jail for the mercy killing of his 12-year-old daughter. We're also talking about Jack Kevorkian and uh, the videotape that, uh, that he made while he was assisting a man in his own uh, suicide. That was aired on 60 Minutes uh, on Sunday night. And one thing that we were, um, we were discussing was uh, the disabled community and how, um, from their perspective, um, Robert Latimer's case kind of opens a whole can of worms and if he was not uh if he didn't receive the kind of sentence that he just recently received it would set a precedent um they were fearing and uh, that you know uh, they they if somebody decided that uh a disabled person was uh, was suffering too much well they could end their life for them well yeah and uh w having said that one of the things that i find difficult going into it is that you sort of you approach um, uh, something that happens from where you come from, and I come from the perspective of a parent, and this, the sort of flip side of it, I guess, is 
would you as a parent be willing to do anything for your kids yeah. up to killing them if it was clear, crystal clear, beyond dispute, that they were in unbearable pain? Would you do that? And what do you think? Well, I, I would kill my kids if that was if, if that was to. the situation. Now, of course, you'd have to know, like, absolutely clearly there was no alternative, you know, but they're in unbearable pain. I couldn't bear to see my children like that, and, and I would hope I would have the strength to do that. I would think, too, as a parent, you would feel that you knew when that child was in unbearable pain. Better than anybody else, yeah. theoretically, at least. And, I, and again, I think that, uh, say, my, my disabled friends would say that that was not the Latimer case at all, so that that's a whole different story, and, uh, and fair enough if, if that's true. But uh, right now, uh, there is a problem in the sense that, to say, there's this big hole in the middle of our law, that there's no law that directly addresses this kind of a situation. And if it came down to killing a child uh, b because it was clearly beyond uh, beyond help. Uh, there's nothing in our law to say, well, in that case, it's appropriate. That's just the same as Carla Homoka in our law. And our law is just, just not designed for that yet. And you were saying, Jeff, as well, that uh, you disagree with some of the uh, disabled communities. Uh, thoughts on this, that it's going to set a precedent and, and people will be killing disabled people. Uh. Well, I, I say that cautiously and carefully and also with the caveat that I am keeping an open mind on this because A, I haven't thought about it nearly as much as my friends have and mm -hmm. B, they're a lot closer to it than I am. But from a legal perspective, I don't think that it's open season now on disabled people, partly for starters, because most people don't want to kill their disabled relatives and friends, but even in situations where some, for some exceptional situation, you've got somebody who has gone over the edge or whatever, this judge made it pretty clear that this was a test case. That was that this is sort of the first situation that's really dealt with this, and that cases coming along after this would be treated differently. That One of the difficulties is that, as Bob says, that often our law advances through test cases, and the only way you get a test case going is by breaking the law. Uh, it's too bad and, and often people have said there should be a way that you could take a case to court on a theoretical fact situation and say, posit these facts. If that had happened, what would the outcome be? Um, and, and then get an answer that way. But we don't have that. Well, the you theoretical have to throw way. in the line of fire no, the only and see what happens. The only theoretical way we have is the political system we're in. The only way we can change laws other than breaking them is by voting a political party in that will change those laws. But unfortunately, most political parties today exist for the purpose of making more laws, to add on to laws, to add on to laws. There, there are very few parties, other than the one I represent, that actually uh, would want to do away with certain laws and, and open the field of individual freedom so people don't have to break them in the first place. But certainly, even in this case, even if a, 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 a precedent was established, in terms of um, Latimer, I don't think the disabled community has anything to fear from that particular precedent if Latimer got a very light sentence because no matter what, every case is going to have to be evaluated individually in a court if it happens. So that alone is deterrent enough. I mean, I think going through the court system is possibly worse than any, any consequences they can put on top of you. If I, if I was a disabled person, particularly if I was a ward of the state, my greater concern would be about, you know, the fiscal and financial health of that state before they pull the plug on me in case, because uh, that's usually what happens when, when government gets involved and, and can, can no longer afford yeah. to take on the, the burden that it does. What was your initial thought, uh, Bob, when you heard about uh, the Robert Latimer case when he did... Uh, end, 10 years, you mean? Well, when he, first when he ended his daughter's life um, and he turned himself in, he admitted it, uh, wh what did you think? Did you think that he, he should be punished um, as a, as a well, murderer? I certainly, or 
No, I certainly believed he should be subject to the justice system and go through the court system and let other people look at the evidence and make a decision on that basis. And, and um, obviously that decision has been made, and as Jeff says, the jury recommended a one-year sentence, but the law doesn't allow for that. So the law is not flexible enough to deal with this kind of a situation. Um, Was a one-year sentence more... And more, I, more apt punishment, it, 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 it accomplishes no more or no less than a 10-year sentence. I mean, who got penalized in this? You and I did as taxpayers. We now have to support Robert Latimer in a jail cell. Uh, to, to, who does that do any good for? It's not going to bring his daughter back. It's not going to you know, stop the pain. It's not going to stop the fear of people who project their own personal fears. And Latimer doesn't thing. appear to be someone who needs and to be rehabilitated. Not, he or doesn't need rehabilitation. He's not going to threaten you or I or even any of his other kids as far as any evidence that was presented was yeah. concerned. So what are we doing here? Is this supposed to be a message to the public? If it is, I consider it an insult. What but, do you think, uh, Jeff? Well, there is, though, look back historically, and again, I don't know that much about it, but I can think of a variety of circumstances where mentally disabled people have had a very bad go of things. And I mentioned the one earlier about people being killed in the, uh, in the 30s in Germany, and uh, certainly I have had clients who were sterilized because they were mentally disabled, for instance. Uh, nobody asked them if they wanted that to happen, but somebody somewhere decided that was for the good of society. Uh, we've had people who've been lobotomized, uh, you know, because that was theoretically for the good of society. Uh, shock treatment goes on today uh, without uh, consent. Uh, you know, the, the disabled community have some very real reasons to, to fear. Well, do, do people who are disabled in the fashion you're suggesting suffer these consequences simply because they're disabled or because their disability has led them to some kind of action? that has caused harm to other people, and then they have to be dealt with. Well, there's a lot of people no, no, who no, may so not, not be fair. fully mentally, you know, sufficient, but are no threat to society and aren't going to well, hurt look at anybody. Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo. <laughs> <Mexico. laughs> all he did was he bugged that nurse. You know, and that, that kind of abuse has happened all over the place. Look at the CIA conducting those LSD experiments in that mm -hmm. uh, Montreal uh, mental hospital Again, in the 50s. Yeah, but you're, you're all, all these examples are referring to government abuses of its own power and, and not to private citizen action, which I think is what we're talking about here. Well, there was a medical community, and uh, that's the fear that, that I think the disabled community has, is that they see themselves as being different, as being less, um, having less rights as citizens than you and I do, simply because of their disability, and their disability may or may not affect them in, in overt ways, but uh, there's no doubt that they've suffered abuses in the past, and that they're not historically a, a group that can, that can look after themselves through uh, political power anyway. Um, they're marginalized. So I'm very conscious of that concern of theirs, which sort of weighs into this whole thing, bearing in mind that I say I'm, I'm open to being persuaded one way or another on this thing. It's a tough issue. But fundamentally, I th agree with the idea that we've got to, as a society, collectively make some decisions here. We've got to decide, should it be illegal to assist somebody in suicide? If there's going to be a law, what should it consist of? You know, what safeguards will there be? Should doctors be involved? I don't think we not? need any new laws. I think we just need... Well, this would be involved repealing a section of the criminal code. Oh, well, in, in, that, in that sense, perhaps. But I, again, I still think it comes down to that courtroom and putting the evidence before the people and giving them some leeway on it. That, to me, is what a sense of justice is all about. Phone lines are open, 643-1290, star 1290 on the cellular line. What do you think about the Robert Latimer case? Was, uh, was a life sentence too harsh for him? Was that a just punishment, as they say, or uh, we're talking about the law versus justice. That's one of the things we're talking about. We're going to take a break here on Left, Right and Center, and Talk of the Town will continue right after this. Good morning. We're back. This is uh, Left, Right and Center. I'm Karen Murray, and for Jim Chapman with Schlemmer and Metz. 
We're talking about Robert Latimer and uh, Dr. Jack Vorkian. Um, and Bob, we were just uh, talking in the break about uh, how many times can this thing be appealed? Well, uh, you know, I keep wondering, we were, we were mentioning again the Nancy Morrison case in Halifax, which the Crown is appealing, the Crown appealed the Latimer case, and the states, it's the state going after Kevorkian there, and, and I have to ask myself, why is the Crown appealing decisions that are already made, and whose interests are they acting, and, and, and I wonder with what, uh, with what right do they have to act when other decisions have already been made and they want to appeal? Like, is, is there someone, someone behind this pushing it? it Jeff, do you it's have a political idea? decision. It's made by, the, by uh, the Premier who decides whether a charge should be appealed or not. And uh, that, that's a good question. That's a tremendous bit of power to have. In other words, he can almost overrule a decision of a court and of a jury. And, yeah, well, and we elected so, him. <laughs> well, I don't think that we elected him to overrule the, the, the court system we set up to, to yeah. adjudicate well, justice. First, theoretically, he's in the system in the sense that the system provides for usually a couple of levels of appeal. Uh, in the Morrison case, it's a little unusual because what happens with her is that she's not had a trial. Her charges keep getting stayed at a preliminary level where they're saying there's no evidence to take forward to a trial. And I'm sure there's no family or, or members of, of the deceased person who are pursuing this. I haven't heard about that. If that was know. the case, I could maybe understand an appeal. It was, it was, yeah. a, it was another doctor who originally raised the problem, uh, originally raised the issue. He went to the police, and that was how the charge arose. It, it wasn't the family. It was this other doctor who was concerned about what had happened. But uh, now another thing, in fairness to the, to the uh, political process, I suppose, is two things. One is that realistically the reason that the government hasn't dealt with this is because it's too hot to handle politically. Uh, no government's willing to take the heat of addressing this thing. And now I think they should, but they haven't been willing to. And it's an easy out for them to say, we're going to hand it off to the courts. And within the court system, what happens is that at the lower court levels, they're, by, they're bound by decisions of higher courts, but the higher court levels actually make policy. Uh, theoretically, they don't. Theoretically, they say they never make law, they discover law. Mm. But realistically, the Supreme Court of Canada makes decisions every day about what they think the world should be like. They're not bound by anybody. They can do whatever they want. So when the Supreme Court of Canada gets their hands on this case, they're really not bound by anything except the statute and the Charter of Rights. So they can do whatever they want. And what will probably happen, hopefully happen, is the Supreme Court of Canada will come out with a detailed decision saying, here's all the considerations you should consider, and here's what we'll end up doing. There'll be a majority decision and a minority decision saying, weighing the pros and cons. And then that can often form the basis of new legislation. Uh, the government may say, well, we've gotten direction from the Supreme Court of Canada. That will assist us as far as going ahead. That's what, sort of what they did with the Quebec, Quebec uh, referendum thing. They took it to mm -hmm. uh, the Supreme Court. So there is a theoretical rationale for that. The downside is that it's extremely expensive for everybody and extremely slow. Like, it will take, you, typically it takes several years to get up to the highest court level. Um, and that's a big problem. But fundamentally, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the Premier who decides whether an appeal goes ahead or not. What would you suggest, uh, Bob, as, a, as kind of a solution to this? Well, you know, ultimately it's got to be a legal and political solution, and it's, it's one of the reasons, I guess, that, that we should be discussing issues like this. You know, for every law we make or law we take away, there are so many consequences that you can't always predict. Jeff mentioned that it was a doctor who may have been behind the Crown Appeal in, in the Nancy Morrison case. Now, you know, I'm looking at it from a doctor's point of view, and I think, well, suppose we open up the door to a little more euthanasia, let us say. Will doctors be held responsible if they refuse to do away with someone? And he might be thinking like that and going, yeah. well, I don't want the law held against me in that regard That's a either. That's point. Yeah. And, and 
because because of the rigidity of the law and then when you have it one way or the other you, you don't you don't have any room for choice anymore yeah. and you don't have any room for personal values and decisions to be brought to the very life that we're supposed to value uh, you, you know a lot of people believe that life without freedom for example is is, is no life at all and and if they weren't given that then end it you know what what's the point because they're not on this earth to make that their own choices choose their own destiny and and life is not fair i mean we're all born with different uh, handicaps oh, different talents yes. and things like that so so we have to deal with it as best we can and our, and our values will be based on our quite often our personal situations in life let's go to the phones and uh, say good morning to tom hi tom yes uh, good morning I was uh, just listening to your conversation there about this, and I had a couple of questions regarding the Latimer case. Sure. Um, <clears throat> one that came to mind was, uh, obviously, well, uh, this is a statement, obviously no parent wants her child to suffer. Um, but I was wondering, did this child, like this child obviously had some form of communication between herself and her parents, I would think. Um, so did this child ever make a... Uh, an attempt to make a last testament or anything saying that she wanted to die? I, not to my knowledge. Now they said that she had a, a mental age of about three. Yes. Um, and certainly they, they knew that she was in some pain. She had had a hip dislocations and things that, that they said were somewhat painful. Although, I, again, I've spoken to friends of mine who have been through that who say, well, it's painful, but it's still better than being dead. It says she actually, in the, one story in the newspaper, says she functioned at the level of a three-month-old. Oh, three-month-old, okay. Um, so presumably she wouldn't have been able to, uh, to communicate her wishes. Yeah, uh, well, that's very sad. I just kind of thought that maybe she had some level of communication. But, uh, you know, it's a very difficult thing to decide no matter where you're at, yeah. simply because... Uh, Hopefully, we'd want a person to be in the right mind to make that decision. Yeah. And did you have another question, Tom? No, I think that's about all I wanted to say. It's just been a very interesting uh, topic. Well, it certainly So do you want is. to take a position? What, what would you do in that situation? Well, it would be very heart-wrenching, I would think, um, you know, because obviously nobody wants to really die. Uh, I think we'd all want to live forever if we could. And just, uh, you know, I just think the pressure would just be so overwhelming. You would be so heart-wrenched that... Um, you know, it would be, I don't know, um, it's you know, obviously one. it's like the one caller said about, you know, we put our animals to sleep when they're suffering, but even when we see our, our relatives suffering, we still don't want them to go, but really I think it has to be left up to that person. Do you think a life sentence was too harsh for Robert Latimer? <clears throat> well, I think it's very difficult to say because... I think, unfortunately, we as the public, we don't really hear all the facts on a lot of cases. Um, well, we do know that it was a mandatory sentence, so nobody made that as right. a, quote, decision. And everyone who was involved in any decision level recommended much lower. So I would say the evidence is on his side, at right. least in terms of not but, treating him the same as, as again, a, a mass murderer or something. Yes. Well, the one thing I do agree with what you did say is that I don't think every case should be lumped into, like, these mandatory sentences per right. se, because everything has to be judged upon its credence and value. And, uh, and I, I don't think that happens a lot of times, no matter what the issue in the courts. Thanks for the call, Tom. We've got to uh, let you go. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Unfortunately, we are out of time. We could go on and on and on about this, and I'm sure we will be revisiting this topic, because it's yeah. obviously not, uh, not far from over uh, at this point. 
thank you both very much for uh, for coming in and talking to us. Thanks, Thank Karen. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to tell you what's coming up tomorrow in just a moment. Well, coming up tomorrow on Talk of the Town, sex sells, to a point anyway. That's the story when it comes to the sports world. We'll talk to McLean's Magazine editor, James Deacon, about the controversy surrounding Katarina Witt's Playboy expose and the Brian Orser Palimony suit. Former Ontario Premier Bob Ray will be with us in the studio, and among many other things, he'll talk about prosperity and the public good. We'll be talking to Stevie Cameron, one of this country's most admired investigative journalists. She's got a new book out uh, called, um, it is called, well, it's about, anyway, I'll tell you, it's about Brian Vercher, the tragic tale of a Montreal tax lawyer and Brian Mulrooney. Tony also will be checking in with John Davidson. Jesse's journey has now made it into Alberta. It's all coming up tomorrow on Talk of the Town. We'll see you then.